It is good to be with you this morning. I want to invite you to open up your Bible and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2. If you do not have a Bible with you this morning, hopefully you can see one or find one beside you or underneath the chair in front of you. We refer to those as our, our pew Bibles, and if you do not own a Bible, please take that. See, that is our, our gift to you this morning to take home and to read. We're continuing in our study through the, the letter to the Hebrews and find ourselves now at the beginning of chapter 2. And this morning, we're going to look at the first four verses of Hebrews chapter 2. The, the sermon comes right from, the sermon title comes right from the passage this morning. We're, by God's help, going to gaze upon such a great salvation. And so now, please follow along as I read from God's Word. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. I want to begin by asking a question. What in your life are you paying the closest attention to. We are bombarded with a sea of communication pouring into our ears, running across the front of our eyes, and it can seem like we are drowning in our attempt to even navigate or decipher where we should be focusing our attention. We hear so much information through all the different social media platforms, YouTube videos, advertisements, inundating us with, with thoughts, communicating something to us. Many of us are paying very close attention, if you think of what's happening in our country right now, to politics. Many of us are paying close attention to the economy. Some of us are so concerned about the, the bear market and longing for it to turn into a bull market once again. Some of us are preferring to kind of escape and pay most close attention to the sports team that we love and just be consumed by what's happening within that season of football or baseball. Maybe for some it's soccer. Others... We are so engaged with our vocation, our career, that nothing else seems to matter. Our, our focus, our attention is solely upon that. Others, it might be your schooling. Others, it's just gaming. You want to just kind of numb out in front of a screen and you 
are so closely paying attention to achieving that next level in a particular game. Whatever it is that we are paying most close attention to, I pray this morning that we would be awakened to that reality and to hear the warning that's found in this passage of what we are to pay most close attention to. And if you're wondering this morning, man, it's kind of hard for me to gauge what it is that I'm paying most closest attention to. When you interact with someone, maybe that you haven't seen in a little while, or someone that you grab coffee with and like to kind of, you know, just shoot the breeze, what is it that stirs your affections most? Meaning, what is it that you long to communicate to that other person, share an update with or about? Typically, that is an indicator on what you're paying most close attention to. What is it that you get most amped about discussing and engaging and giving facts about or uh, the most recent update on? That, that's a helpful, to, uh, a helpful um, gauge in which we can determine what it is that we're spending our time on, consumed by. I want that to be kind of on the forefront as we enter into this passage, just these few verses before us. Our passage begins with a therefore. And we have spent a few Lord's Days looking at what has come before. And what we see here is the author saying, okay, based on what I have just written you in chapter 1, all that has come before, we're going to see how that's going to connect So, you know, as you're reading through Scripture, you see a therefore, you should stop and ask, what is this therefore? Uh, Tim Long reminded us of us that in adult Sunday school last, last week or the week before. It's a helpful way in which we're reading Scripture to realize this is important. What's about to be said is going to be anchored or based on what has come before. And so we see this therefore at the beginning of chapter 2. And we're given this exhortation, pay much closer attention to what we have heard. Now, our grace verse this month is the beginning of Hebrews. We've been reminded as we've worked through chapter 1 that God long ago, at many times and in many ways, spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son or through his son. And so the author has taken much length of using words and and describing the reason why we should be listening to the Son. Who is the Son? Why does He deserve our attention? And what has He said? All of that we've spent time looking at, and now the author is saying, Therefore, since I have held Christ up to you, being superior because he is the one who created all things, pay close attention. He is superior over the angels. Pay close attention. He is the one who is the heir of all things. Therefore, pay close attention. He is the one who made the world. The grounds on which this exhortation is given is based upon who the Son is and what He has said. Since the Son is much superior than all other beings, all things, pay close attention to what 
we have heard. His message has paramount claims on our attention, belief, and obedience. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. To to pay much close attention or much closer attention is, is to give heed to something. The Apostle Paul, speaking to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.13, kind of helps us here. He says, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Pay attention to these things. Give heed to these things. To uh, much closer, to a greater degree or extent than whatever else is going on in your life. So if a rich uncle has left a huge inheritance and you are the person that's named in that will, I I promise you, you will do everything in your strength. There will be much zealousness to see that the court interprets every word appropriately or in agreement to your rich uncle's intent. You're going to pay much close attention to that. Or if you are desperately sick with a terminal disease, you have this terminal disease and you heard of a doctor who knew the cure and he wrote down a health regimen for you to follow. I promise you, you would do everything in your power to understand what that doctor wrote and what he meant and to follow everything that he has listed out. How much more should we, when we look at the words of the Son, pay much closer attention to what we have heard? As he has spent the first chapter glorifying the Son by exalting him in front of the reader's eyes, in front of our eyes, he is superior. He is the one that we should listen to. Now he is He is trying to help us understand that this paying closer attention has has huge stakes. The matter at hand is greatly of importance. And so by way of these first four verses, we are are to experience, to take in the, the gravity of the situation, if you like. When we think about such a great salvation... We need our ears to perk up and to pay much closer attention. As you're sitting in this sanctuary this morning, I I just wonder, in comparison to the time and energy and thought that you give to other things, is this reality true in your life? Do you even talk about the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ as a great thing in comparison to how you talk about other things that you think are great? The the writer to the Hebrews then uses nautical terms to help us understand what he's trying to convey here. He says, you need to pay much closer attention so that you don't drift away, lest we drift away. And so this nautical description 
You, you could think of it this way. Those who were recipients of this letter would know very much all the, the daily activities, the, the coming in and going out on the Mediterranean Sea, for example, and how important it was for a boat to drop anchor and for that anchor to actually hit the sea bottom and, and connect and, and take root, so to speak, connect to a rock, some, some way to, to anchor them from being moved away. And the author is saying, there is a reason why I'm saying you need to pay much closer attention to what you have heard. Because with all circumstances in life and things coming our way being communicated to us, brothers and sisters, it is easy for us to begin drifting away without us even knowing that it is happening to us. The Hebrew Christians that he was writing to in their particular context would experience this drifting away in different ways. Some similar ways, some different ways. If you think about Hebrew Christians coming to faith in Christ, we've mentioned this over the last couple of weeks of talking about the introduction to Hebrews. What they have experienced in their life has had a profound impact on them. Their eyes being opened to the glory of Christ and the salvation that's found in him alone, and then the implications of now believing that. So in their, in their world, in their life, their families have been broken over the gospel. There has been public shame by their fellow Jews, loss of property or even freedom, experiences of persecution, so many different things have happened to them because of their faith in Christ. Now, there is this constant temptation, if you're experiencing hardship, to look at what other people may be experiencing and think, man, their life is so much better, so much more filled with peace and kind of smooth sailing. And there is great temptation to say, is this really worth it? Is this all that it was cracked up to be? Is this what we were told would be part of life of flourishing according to the gospel? All of those questions and temptations to look around and say, man, life wasn't so bad before. You think about the Hebrews who were brought out of Egyptian slavery. What was their attitude as they're wandering through the desert? They start looking back and thinking, man, I kind of miss what we had there versus what we're experiencing now. And God the whole time is saying, I am with you. I am for you. Trust me. I am bringing you to the promised land. But we are such sensual creatures. We, we see and we feel and we experience things. And when it starts getting hard and the cost of discipleship is a real reality, Oh, Satan loves to, to put whatever that temptation is on the hook and entice us with thinking that something different or what we had in the past would be better. And the author, the writer to the Hebrews is saying, there's a reason why I'm saying you must pay much closer attention to what you have heard lest we drift away from it. Remember, they would look and see what was still active within Judaism. Temple worship, 
all the descriptions of a, of a robust religion where people on the outside respected and admired what the Jews were about. And they're finding themselves now huddled in small little rooms, worshiping with just a few other believers in Christ, part of the way, Christians, and looking and going, I'm not sure if this is what we thought it was. Drift for Christians today in the West may look a little different, may be a little bit more subtle, where the advancement in career or even maintaining current employment requires hard decisions. In order for us to have financial security, we may have to do certain things and prioritize our, t- our time and energies in certain ways that would pull us away. Maybe we are just so enthralled with entertainment, always needing to be, to be entertained, to be excited, our dopamines going active and engaged, that we find the things of Christ not appealing, not exciting, not doing much for us anymore. And so we are just, without even knowing, drifting away. Where are you paying most close attention? What grabs your mind and your heart and your affections? I was thinking about this. Many in this room love to go on vacation to the beach, kind of escape what we have going on here in this region and, and head to, um, I was going to say more beautiful lands. I don't want to offend anybody. <laughs> but a, a, an opportunity to, to go to a different scene. And so I know many go to the beach, and many of us, when we go to the beach, like to actually get into the water. And I was thinking about how this, this correlates well. You go out into the water if you're swimming in the ocean, And you may be bopping along and maybe having a conversation or just enjoying the surroundings. And before you know it, you have moved a great distance from where you started, right? So you're looking at maybe your family, your kids still playing on the beach, and you're just kind of hitting the waves. And then before you know it, you've been pulled along the waters. And I, I want you to think about that imagery and realize If we are not paying much closer attention to what we have heard, what we are called to be about, before you know it, you have drifted without even realizing how far you've gone. But I will tell you this, those who are watching, a lot of times, whether that's your spouse, your kids, or your close friends, can identify, if they know you well, where you were, and now where you are. But for us, this is, this is another way that Satan lulls us along, kind of blinders, the deceitfulness of sin. Where we're playing in the mud pies when there is the Lord Jesus calling us to experience true life in him, and before we know it, we are much further away than we could ever have imagined. Verse 2, For since... The message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? 
Now, if you're just kind of reading through these first four verses, that may seem a little jarring. Like, I'm not even sure why verse 1 and verse 2 are laid out in that way. But this was a form of teaching that a lot of the rabbis even did. And it was called, in Latin, something I can't even pronounce, but this is what it means, light to heavy. So this was a way of teaching. They would lay out something that was light and show you either the ramifications or the consequences that it brought and then move to something much more heavy and explain to you how much more if there were if there were something if there were some effects or consequences of what was being experienced here how much more in this situation so by giving us this message declared by angels being proved reliable and every transgression or disobedience received just retribution He's laying that as the, the lesser or light versus what's going to come in verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? So first, the lesser. What message was declared by the angels? I want to take us into some scripture passages. Deuteronomy 33, 1 and 2, and then into the New Testament. This is Moses' final blessing on Israel. He says this, this is the blessing uh, with, uh, with, with which Moses, the man of God, blessed the people of Israel before his death. He said, the Lord came from Sinai and dawned from Seir upon us. He shone forth from Mount Paran. He came from the 10,000 of holy ones with flaming fire at his right hand. Then going into the new, we see this from the, the, the speech or the sermon that Stephen gave and from Paul's letter to the Galatians. So in Acts chapter 7, two different verses, verse 38, this is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Sinai and with our fathers. He received living oracles to give to us. And then in verse 53, you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. And then the Apostle Paul in Galatians 3.19, why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an inter intermediary. Okay, so what we hear in verse two of our passage, this message declared by angels was the message, God's word, the law given to Moses on Sinai. This is the same reference, but just said in a different way that we saw in Hebrews 1.1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. God has spoken in this way through angels or by angels given the law on Mount Sinai to Moses. That law was reliable. It was, good, it was good, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, meaning the law was given, it was reliable. If you disobeyed, God was just in punishing those who disobeyed. That's the lesser being given here so that we might understand the gravity of what he's about to say. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation. 
Now, if what was given by the angels to Moses was reliable, the words spoken to us in the Old Covenant, how shall we escape if we neglect what we have heard from the Son? The term neglect suggests a careless attitude, a lack of concern, a disregard for the gift of God. Now, we made mention of this. I want to remind us again. God revealing himself is his grace to us. It is a grace that God has revealed himself. God giving a great salvation and making it known, the good news of the gospel, is of such importance that when we view it or respond to it with a careless attitude, a lack of concern, a disregard, there is much at stake. This is a huge deal. Now, there is a a narrower application of these words to the Hebrew Christians who were being tempted in many ways to forsake their commitment to Christianity and return again to Judaism. So great a salvation refers to the better thing. All the promises that were made in the old find their fulfillment, their substance in the new, which is in Christ Jesus and what he has accomplished in his life and his death and his burial and resurrection. And he is writing to these Hebrew Christians, helping them understand how big of a deal this is, how much more closer they should pay attention to what they have heard, lest they drift away. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Judaism was about to fall under the judgment of God when thinking about what, tr- what transpired in A.D. 70 and the destruction of the temple. And if, therefore, they turned from their allegiance to Christ and went back to which was on the eve of being destroyed, how could they escape was the question with which the readers needed to face. And so, there was this lesser to greater. The greater degree of privilege enjoyed by the new covenant entails greater degree of responsibility and, consequently, of danger if that privilege or if that gift is callously disregarded or if there's a careless attitude, a neglect, a lack of concern for this great salvation. I want to ask the question and spend a little bit of time thinking about it. What makes this salvation so great? Why are the stakes so high that this is how the writer to the Hebrews starts chapter 2? If you're going to call something great, I think there needs to be some backing up, support. And really, in these verses, in this first uh, chunk of chapter 2, that is exactly what the author is doing. He is girding this statement of this being a great salvation, and let me help you understand what makes it so great. 
The greatness of the subject is determined by the author of the subject. The greatness of any subject is determined by the author of that subject. And so, think about this. Things that you really um, are interested in and want to learn more about, many go to people who are experts in that particular subject. So we are eager a lot of times to hear about such and such topic from our most respected politician or scientist who is an expert over that particular field. Unfortunately, a lot of us give attention to celebrities or even influencers about given topics that they know nothing about. But we want to hear from people that we respect to shed light on things that we're interested in learning more about or in tuned or curious about. The author is trying to help us understand this great salvation and what makes it so great. And by doing so, he is shining light on the author of this great salvation. So it's not just from men who are experts in particular fields. He tells us it was first declared by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Now, please see this in these verses. What is being described here is a description of the triune God giving credit or attesting to the reality of what we have heard and why it's so great. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit all letting you know that what the content of this salvation is and what makes it so very great. And so what we see is what you could call a, a fourfold concert of witnesses attesting to the reality of this great salvation. The description, first, the Lord Jesus. Reminds me of Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. And so first, the Lord Jesus was the one who, who attested in his public ministry to the greatness of this salvation. And then it was attested to us by those who heard. This would be a description of Christ calling his disciples, the apostles being the ones who testified to the greatness of this salvation. And God the Father testifying through miracles. And then the Holy Spirit empowering the church. All of this is to certify what was spoken, the validity, the validity of it, and the affirmation of it. This was God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit giving that stamp of approval that what you have heard is truly a great salvation. So this is not just kind of the thoughts of men over here that kind of gained uh, traction and, and became pretty popular in this day. The, the believers receiving this need to understand what you're, what you're on the, the cusp of neglecting, this great salvation it is great because of the author of it, the validity of it, what, it's, what is attested to 
the reality of it. Now also, the greatness of this salvation is understanding what it saves you from. So we've looked a little bit at the author helping us see the author and, and what makes this, um, this salvation so great. Next, we want to look just for a moment in understanding the content of it. The greatness of this salvation is what it saves you from. Brothers and sisters, as they needed to hear, we need to hear. What has been offered through the Lord Jesus Christ saves us from the greatest of calamities. Why are people generally unconcerned with the gospel, disinterested in the gospel? I would submit to you that they have never seen their true need of this great salvation. The common response is, that's great for you, but I don't really need it for me. Even in this Bible Belt region that we live in, they may attest to, oh yeah, yeah I believe in God, I'm good, I, I understand all that you're spitting. But really, when it comes down to it, it would just be an addition to however their life is going. Okay, I could, I could take it or leave it. They have neglected to even begin to understand the greatness of this salvation and what it saves them from. There is a ceasing of understanding or belief in God's law being real, a reality that what God says we must do, no categories for that. That there's actually consequences, punishments to this reliable law. That there's a reality of God creating man in his own image and has placed eternity in each of us. And when you die, if you die in your sins, you will be condemned and punished for eternity in hell. None of these realities are even remotely on most people's radars as, as truth. When you hear later in Hebrews 9.27, and just as it, is, as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, you never will hear that come from any leader in, in our government, in our land. That, that's not where they go when they talk about the gravity of this life and life to come. War is nothing in comparison to the calamity to come for sinners lost in their sins. Viruses are nothing compared to the gravity of this particular situation. Hebrews 10.31, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. There's no recognition of a verse like James 2.10, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. No, no grabbing hold of the truth that, that a punishment is given for those who trespass God's law, Romans 2.5, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Matthew 16.26, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? 
When you're hearing these passages, I want to just draw you back to the beginning. What are you paying the most attention to? What has captivated your mind and your heart? 2 Thessalonians 1.9, those who die in their sins, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Do we realize that the good news of the gospel is only good news if it is actually accepted, believed upon, trusted in, becoming the anchor of one's soul? If it has not been received by faith, then because of our transgressions of God's righteous requirements, the really bad news is that we will be even more accountable to God because of our rejection of the Son and what He has spoken. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. So for the the Hebrew Jews, this was a, a siren going off. Do not be tempted to drift away and think that what the Jews, Judaism, is offering is going to be better than what Christ has come and accomplished. Let me shake you hard enough in love to see that the law leads to death because all have fallen short of the glory of God. If you have, if you have fallen in one area, you've, you've disobeyed the whole law. As we were reminded in adult Sunday school by Ted Sally, you would be under the curse of the law. But Christ came and, be, came and became the curse on our behalf. Look to Christ. He is superior in all things. Listen to what he has said. In him is life and life abundant. The forgiveness of sins, the gift of eternal life. Don't look elsewhere. Don't pay much more closer attention to these things. Look at Christ. Remember Christ. Dwell upon his word. The greatness of this salvation is what it saves you from and what it saves you to or for. What does a sinner gain from this great salvation? We're going to look further, Lord willing, into chapter 2 that just continues to unpack these realities of what Christ has accomplished. But just here, the forgiveness of sins is found only in the shedding of of the spotless lamb, Jesus Christ. The cleansing from guilt and defilement the peace of conscience, God reconciling sinners to himself, an assurance of salvation, a certainty that God's wrath that would have been on you has been satisfied by the work of the Son. And in Christ, you can now stand justified before a holy God. It includes being rescued from the devil who has, according to chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, the power of death and the ability to enslave us to fear. The Christian who has experienced this great salvation is one who has been freed not only from the curse of sin, but also from the bondage of sin as well. The Christian's experience extends beyond just the the moment of belief and being pardoned into a daily exercise of pursuing holiness without which no one will see God, Hebrews 12, 14. We're, We're reminded as we read through the New Testament that 
the Christian life is associated with or compared to a race all throughout the New Testament. A race calls for self-discipline, personal exertion, perseverance. The, the inheritance is set before believers as a promise. There is an already but not yet reality to the Christian life. And so the way that chapter 1 verse 14 ended, we're, we, were, we were told that, that angels minister to those, and the words used are really important, to those who are to inherit salvation. So the author spoke of the angels ministering to those who are to inherit, which among other things pointed to their salvation as being in a sense yet future. So in one sense, they have been saved from the penalty of sin. And in, in another sense, they were still being saved from the power of sin. And still in another sense, they were yet to be saved from the presence of sin. What we see happening in our passage this morning is this reminder or call to believers. They're being addressed according to their responsibility. The responsibility to, to not neglect, to pay close attention to, lest we drift away from what we have heard. Sometimes we read passages of Scripture and think, okay, that's not really pertaining to me because I'm secure in my salvation, Christ has done the work, and therefore you kind of sit back and think, now it's just kind of smooth sailing, and we're just going to coast along until either I die and go and meet my Savior face to face, or he returns again. And there's so much more happening here in the Christian life. There is this call to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. God's children are called upon to give diligence to make their calling and election sure, 2 Peter 1.10. And so when we hear about this escaping from something, escaping from what if we neglect, that what is applicable to all who hear this. It may be different to one person than to another, but I want you to understand that there is application to all of us if we neglect this great salvation. The way this is written, the author doesn't specify exactly the what is in verse 3. But from the preceding words, it is clear that it is just retribution. So the lesser, if what the angels declared was just and right, then all that transpires if you disobey that is, is God's justice. It is right. So as we look at this great salvation, if we neglect it, there will be consequences. And this is what I want us to think about for a moment. It seems to suggest that it depends upon the state of the individual. So if it be someone who's reading this and only is a lifeless professor of faith in Christ, but continues to neglect his great salvation in their, in their word and deed, meaning this would be an example of someone who has professed Christ and maybe clinging to him just as that escape out of hell into heaven, but wants nothing to do with Christ's lordship over their life, meaning you could care less about Christ's commands and your obedience to them. Well, for that person to neglect such a great salvation means if you continue on that road, this drifting 
is actually a reality of a, a, an eternal drifting away. This is an alert to one who has just professed, but there's not actual lively bi biblical faith alive and well in this person's life. That neglect is very different than a believer who is finding themselves struggling with different temptations that's pulling them away from what they are to cling to and hold to fastly. So for another person, maybe a regenerated believer, though struggling in different ways, maybe finding carelessness in their devotion and their priority or focus upon this great salvation, there are also consequences here too. If you have ever wondered what it looks like to kind of limp along in the Christian faith where you find yourself more attracted to the things anti-God than to the things of God, and you're constantly struggling with really treasuring Christ above the other things of this world, like you long more for the riches of this world than for the riches of eternity with Christ. For that person who's struggling, who's neglecting this great salvation, there will be a lack of joy that Dennis reminded us of and a lack of assurance. There are consequences if we have neglected such a great salvation, if we have not paid of utmost attention to the things that we have heard and allowed the things of this world to just come in and, and shine brightly rather than growing dim, there will also be the reality of that just retribution, that consequence for those type of lifestyles. So these first few verses in Hebrews 2 is, is a helpful exhortation and warning that we must pay much closer attention, that we shall not escape if we neglect this great salvation. Now, to just kind of bring this to a close, we haven't spent a lot of time really talking about or hearing the, the real greatness in how this great salvation has been made possible. I pray that the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ captivates us, enthralls us. This is the greatest drama in history. That the one who we are told in chapter 1 created all things and all things are held together in him, by him, and for him. That creator who in heaven from eternity past was experiencing the rightful glory due to him. That one, the eternal son of God, left left that place of glory on a mission to rescue us. The humiliation in becoming flesh and dwelling amongst us. What he did living this life. The richness and the poverty the humiliation, and then the exaltation, going to the cross, dying the death that all those who would call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ deserved to die in our stead so that the wrath that is due us for all eternity 
would be relieved, taken off, removed, and on him and him alone. This once and final sacrifice so that there would be a, a, a way made, created, where those who were far off may be brought near and into fellowship and communion with God. This is that drama where the one who left heaven, came to earth, died on the cross, was buried, did not end, but on the third day, God raised him from the dead, declaring to the universe that he has overcome and defeated death and sin on our behalf. And there was this ascension to the right hand of the Father where he is now ruling and reigning. All of this is the greatness of the salvation where what we deserved was hell. And by grace, what we get is eternal bliss with God. The greatness of this salvation, is this what stirs our affections? Is this what is in the forefront of our mind, what we pay most close attention to? What is it that you enjoy communicating to others? What is it that you get most excited about in this life? Why are there so many people on the outside of this building and other church buildings rather than on the inside on this particular Lord's Day? I believe we have failed to give them the impression that we have the greatest thing in all the world. Many people have sought to express this great salvation, getting a glimpse of the glory in architecture, in art, in songs that were composed, all to try to, to, to communicate what it is that God has accomplished through his son. And I just wonder, does our life convey that expression of the glory of this greatest gift of salvation. There's a story in the Old Testament that I was thinking about and in closing I wanted to share. In 2 Kings chapter 7, there's this episode that happens where there is a, a great famine in the land and there are these four leopards. There are the Assyrians, the Syrians camped outside of the people of God and in the midst of this situation, these four lepers are contemplating what they are to do, basically, with the end of their lives. There's no food in the land, no water. Death seems to be upon us. Do we just stay in our current situation? Do we go inside the city and try to make things, you know, ask for things to be different? Do we go out to the Syrians and see maybe if our plight could be some, you know, they may have mercy upon us and something may, may happen. All the while, the people of God ins are inside the city suffering. There is much hardship, much suffering. They end up going out saying, what do we have to lose? Let's go out to the Syrian camp. What they don't know is that God has, has done a miracle. He has driven the Assyrians out by making the noise like, like the Israelites have, have called upon the Egyptians and all these other armies to come and come against them. That's what they hear. That's what they think happens. So they flee. What they have in the camp is the abundance of everything that is good and everything that is needed for 
the people who are experiencing the famine in the land. So these four leopards begin by just indulging themselves. They begin by taking some, going and finding places to hide it and bury it. It's all about them. And then we read this. Then they said to one another, We are not doing right. This day is a day of good news. If we are silent and wait until the morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now, therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. And as I was reflecting on that passage, in light of the great salvation that those in Christ have experienced, I wonder if our life is marked much like the way that the lepers began. They received this great treasure and wanted it all to themselves. It was all about them. And yet, in God's grace, they, they are alerted to this reality that this is not good. This is good news that we have. We need to share it. Brothers and sisters, when you hear these verses, therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard and not neglect this great salvation. Please let this ring in your ears this morning. This is what our minds and our hearts should be all about, consumed with. And then the overflow of our joy should, should burst out of our mouths and out of our hands and communicating the glorious nature of this great salvation to those around us. May we see this be the day of good news and go and proclaim it from the housetops. Relish in what we've experienced in Christ. And like Abram, he was blessed to be a blessing. Not blessed to just consume and be all about it and, and enjoy it in and amongst himself and ourselves, but actually be that mouthpiece that goes out and says, all you who are, who are weary and heavy laden, enslaved in sin, there is a Savior who has come to, to liberate us, to free us from our sins. This is that great salvation that I pray would capture our hearts and then be proclaimed boldly out of our mouths to the ends of the earth. Let us pray. Father, your revelation to us is grace upon grace. Father, I pray this morning that we would heed these words from Hebrews chapter 2. Father, we thank you that you have made yourself known to us you have spoken to us in these last days through your Son. And what you have spoken is the greatest news in all the universe. What you have accomplished is salvation for sinners like us. Redemption is found in Christ and Christ alone. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would enable us to be so consumed, to pay so close attention to these things that we have heard that it would lead to a life that, that brings much glory to you and others that we would not neglect. Help us to understand what it looks like in our own lives this very day to not pay attention and to neglect and that there would be repentance of that sinful lifestyle and turning once again out of the kindness 
of your love towards us, repenting and longing to live lives that glorify you, to be captivated by these glorious truths found in Christ and Christ alone, and then to be used by you, as was prayed in the pastoral prayer, for those whom we love, those in whom you have placed us in their midst, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, on our sports teams. Father, may this be the day not only of salvation for those who are hearing who are far off, but we as your ambassadors going to those around us and giving the impression that we actually have the greatest gift of all. May our lives be marked with this reality. And we pray all of this in Christ's glorious name. Amen. Amen.